problem with this communal meal, at least in Corinth, is there are these divisions. Okay, that's what he specifically says in that verse. The problem I've heard is that there are divisions among you, he says. The divisions in this case, in Corinthians, are probably between wealthy and influential people in the church and then the poor, even the slaves, who are now believers in the church, okay? And one of two things is probably happening, the situation that's presented itself. Either the rich are gathering earlier in the day on on Sunday because they have leisure to do that, and they come together and begin to feast and eat together, and then by the time the poor are able to finish their day's work, because remember, it's the ancient world. They don't have weekends, right? There's not an off day. They don't think of the, the week that way. Um, as the slaves and, and the servants get done with their day, then they come to this communal meal in the evening, and guess what? All the food has been eaten, all the wine has been drunk, um, and the, 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 the rich are, in some cases, even um, a little past the point of what they should have taken in in terms of wine and, and, and food, right? And there's nothing left for, for the poor. Okay, that may be the case, or it may be a little a little different than that. It may be the case that, no, they are all coming together at once, but because of the social mores of that time, uh, the, the upper classes and the lower classes, what we would have known would have happened was the rich people would have eaten inside uh, in sort of the, the dining room. Um, you know, they didn't do it like we do. They reclined at the table and stuff, but they would eat inside, and then there would be a courtyard or something that the poor would eat in. The rich people would probably have a higher level of food and nicer stuff, and the poor people would have a lower level of stuff. And so it may be that that's the situation going on, that the, the class distinction is being seen um, specifically in the fact that these, the people are kind of being segregated out, right? We can almost think of some illustrations of that in, in the American church in, say, uh, Civil War South or whatever, right, where you have a black section of the congregation. They sit over here, and then you have a white section, right? And there was something going on there that was making two classes of people, which is not okay. Those are bringing the worldly um, uh, characteristics of people into the church, okay? And so that's not, that's not okay, and, and Paul is pointing those things out, okay? And so he says, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing, right? Um, are you zooming in on these people and, and um, making them feel out of place in the church, all right? So I want to zoom in on, on a couple of different aspects of the supper and then kind of apply it to something that I think is not a problem specifically with our church, but it's a problem with churches in general and people in general everywhere, okay? And so you can kind of kind of go with follow me through these these four kind of general points that we notice in this section. So number one is this. The supper is a picture of the church's unity. Okay? The Lord's Supper is a picture of the church's unity. So again, we've talked about it before. There's different things going on in the Lord's Supper. When we practice celebrate the Lord's Supper, there's different symbols going on. Obviously, the thing that is primary is the presentation of Christ's body and blood, right? This, the, the bread and the, and the, the fruit of the vine that represent, um, the, the, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, right? The very fact that Jesus was crucified for our sins, that his flesh was pierced, that his blood was shed on your behalf and on my behalf so that we could be made right with God, okay? That's the primary thing that is, that is, up front in the Lord's Supper, okay? The, the bread and the wine, right? But then immediately, we have to ask ourselves a question, and maybe you've never thought about this. Why on earth would you demonstrate the brutal 
crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ through a communal meal. Right? It seems like there would be so many other ways you could symbolize that than saying, what if we all got around a table and had a meal together as brothers and sisters? Um, and then in the middle of it, we mentioned this horrific, awful execution, right? What's the, what's the connection there? Why is the communal meal the, the, the trapping, the picture around this thing? Well, I think there's something very um, specific there, um, and that is that it's, Jesus' crucifixion is not the only thing being pictured in the Lord's Supper, right? Part of what is being pictured is the love and the unity of the church that Christ's sacrifice creates, okay? And that's why we have it around this table. That's why we have this communal picture going on in the middle of, of something as horrific as, as the crucifixion of Jesus, okay? And so uh, Paul explicitly connects the idea of the symbolism of the Lord's Supper table being about the unity of the church in chapter 10, the previous chapter. So if you've got your Bible and you want to flip there real quick, you can. But it's in chapter 10, verse 16. He's talking about idolatry in that section. But he says this. He says, The cup of blessing that we bless, talking about the Lord's Supper, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread, right? And so he's saying even in the bread there's a symbolism there, right? This is Christ's body that is being broken, but it's the body that we are now a part of. We are the body of Christ, right? We are unified in these things. And so there's, there's other symbolism going on in the Lord's Supper table. And I would argue probably there's even more than that, but we're not going to – we'll deal with those another Thanksgiving, okay? We'll talk about that at some other time. He's explicitly linking the unity of the church to the Lord's Supper table. Um, that's part of the reason that we do the Lord's Supper the way we do it here, all right? Um, to preserve or try to um, picture that communal idea, okay? Because I assume the case is, is you've been to other churches and they did it in many other different ways. And so, for example, um, we don't sit in our seats here. Um, and then the plate is passed and you get your single serving of juice and your single serving of, of uh, bread and you have your own um, individualized kind of thing there, okay? That's not the way we do it. I'm not saying it's wrong. Uh, there's probably even other symbolism there or whatever. That's not the way we do it. Um, another thing that we don't do, we don't come down front and there's a single exchange between the pastor and the, and the person, right, that I'm somehow communicating to you in, in some sort of priestly fashion or something like that. That's not what we do either, okay? Um, not saying it's wrong, but, but that's not the way we do it. Um, also, we don't come down and kneel at an altar, right, and, and, and have this kind of time, right? Um, we do something particular. We gather around a table, a group of us, to where we are standing across from each other. We are standing shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are looking across the table into each other's eyes, and there's an, that's intentional, right? That's not accidental. We are doing that because we are saying we are joining together as brothers and sisters around the body and blood of Christ, and something is happening here. There's a unity that is supposed to be here, just like that picture that we see in um, the early church of these communal uh, meals with each other. All right. And so the Lord's Supper is about Jesus, certainly primarily. Right. But it's not just about Jesus. It's about the community. It's about the unity that Jesus Christ has created among his people. OK. So then two, the second big idea would be this. Therefore, if it's also about our unity, 
eating unworthily, that's a phrase that we read in that passage, right? That there is a possibility of us taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. Eating unworthily is as much about unity as it is about belief and repentance. Okay? So what do I mean by that, right? I think there are various ways that we can receive the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. Certainly, unbelief is one of those, right? So, so we, we talk about it um, all the time. We do a little thing that the, the church term for it is called fencing the table, okay? We're putting a little fence up around the table, and that's that part where I say, hey, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you haven't been baptized, then this isn't for you. We're not, we're not asking you to be a part of this right now. That's called fencing the table. Why? Because it doesn't make any sense for a person who is not a follower of Jesus Christ to get up there and remember and declare that Jesus has died for me and, and uh, broken his body and shed his blood. Right? It doesn't make any sense. Okay? Um, I, I, an illustration would be it's like crashing a wedding. I think, okay? Um, you are showing up to this thing um, that you really don't know anything about, right? You're not there as part of, you don't, you're not connected to the people yet, okay? Um, you're not part of it yet, okay? And so certainly to take the Lord's Supper as an unbeliever, I think is, is an unworthy way of taking it, okay? But there can be other things included in that. I think living in unrepentant sin is another potential way of, re, of, of receiving the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. And so the person who you're standing next to at the table may not know your sin, but God certainly does. And taking the supper, that is remembering and declaring the death of Jesus, and yet acting as if you are getting away with something, right? That you can live a separate life, and pretend to be somebody else in another place, and then come here and act like you're somebody different, um, that is taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. Okay? None of us are perfect. I'm not saying that we come to the table in any way, shape, or form as, as completely sanctified kind of people. But at the same time, I think we all recognize that there are ways in which we say, no, I'm living in this openly um, sinful way, and I'm unrepented of it and have no in, in, intention of changing. Right, And if you are doing that, and then you come to the Lord's table and say, I am taking advantage of these things that God has, has done for me in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then I think that is taking it in a worthy way. You shouldn't do that. Um, the Lord's Supper table is an opportunity, honestly, to be up front um, with God and to confront the sin that we have in our lives. So living... In disunity, though, would be a third way I think that we can take the supper unworthily, okay? If we are living in disunity with each other, then that could be a means by which we take the supper unworthily. And there's all kinds of things that could create that kind of disunity, right? Certainly there's, in, in other places in 1 Corinthians, there's this idea of factions where there are these even seem to be theological factions within the church, and they don't like each other in certain ways or whatever. That could be a thing. Um, Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 5. He gives one of his vice lists, right? And at the beginning of it, he's talking about sexual immorality. And at the end of it, he's talking about witchcraft and all these things in the middle. But in the, in the center of the passage, he says these things. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, right? Those are all forms of disunity. They are all forms of either group disunity, clique disunity, or personal disunity, right, in a church. Any of those things could be a cause of disunity. 
Um, and all of those are interpersonal sins. All of them function through relationships that we have, okay? And so I think this is the case. When the Bible talks about this idea of eating unworthily, I think the Lord's Supper table is essentially supposed to be the church's anxious seat. Are you familiar with the term anxious seat? Has anybody ever heard that before? Okay. It's not something we use a lot anymore. It's something that happened during the, the Second Great Awakening. Um, and, and during the Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, you would have these things that were specifically, they would put chairs and pews down front specifically for the, the use of people who were sp- feeling convicted by the Spirit. And so what would happen is the preacher started preaching and you started going, man, I need to get right. I need to get saved or I need to get this sin dealt with or something. You would come up and sit down in those pews at the front of the, the, the church. And that was an indication to the pastor and the congregation and whoever else that, hey, this guy's got something going on in his life. He needs, you know, he needs some help dealing with that. We still have it, especially in a lot of Baptist churches, right, when you do altar calls and stuff like that, right? And, and a lot of times what happens is people will come down. And if there's only one pastor and he can't talk to everybody immediately or something, then what happens is those people kind of sit and wait. And then they wait until it's their turn to get up and talk to the pastor or pray or do whatever, right? Well, that's kind of an invention of the, of the, of the pretty modern church, right? They haven't, they don't, there's no evidence that we had that in a thousand years ago in the church, right? This is the great, second great awakening was the mid 1800s, okay? But I would argue this. We had something like it. And that's something like it is the Lord's Supper table. The Lord's Supper table is intended to be almost like an anxious seat, okay? And what I mean by that is this. The table is a moment of crisis for us. It is a moment of confrontation for us, all right? It is not, to use maybe some illustrations, it is not just you and God going out for a nice candlelit dinner, just the two of you, right? It's not what it is. Okay. It is also not you and God or that that is you in the community getting together for a laid back barbecue where you sit around and just have a good time with each other. It's that's not the picture going on at the Lord's Supper table. Let me give you probably the better picture. It is more akin to the older brother who would not come in and join the feast because of the return of his prodigal younger brother. Right. That's what's going on at the Lord's Supper table. It is a moment for us to stop and say, Do I believe what I say I believe? Do I trust in the gospel for not only eternity, but do I trust in the gospel for my life right now? Do I trust in the gospel to dictate how I am going to live my life on a weekly basis, how I'm going to uh, be in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ right here in the church? Um, It's a moment of confrontation. Okay, and again, I don't think we probably see it that way normally. Like we think of it as a very peaceful time. We're like, oh man, this is going to be this this great thing with it, where I go and I, I I get to interact with God. And certainly you do, but there is a moment of there's a line that has to be crossed there. You have to make a decision before you step to that table. That's why the Bible talks about even in this passage, what about examining yourself before you go to the Lord's Supper table? And so I don't think it's illegitimate to say that in that moment, if you realize that receiving the supper at this time would be done in an unworthy manner, then you have a choice to make. You can either make it right, that is, believe, repent, and be reconciled, or you can not take the supper. And that's probably something that some people have not ever thought about, that when the Lord's Supper comes by you in a church where it's passed, or when you come up front to take the Lord's Supper, you don't have to take it. In fact, it might even be wise for you not to take it. 
in certain circumstances. That's one of the advantages of having weekly communion, I think, is that, you know what, if you miss communion this week because you've got to get something dealt with, you don't have to wait three months before you get to take it again, okay? It'll, we'll be here next week, okay? And so, so you can do that. So you can stop and say, you know what, before I take the Lord's Supper, before I declare the body and blood of Jesus Christ, um, before I live as if I am in unity, I need to go do something first. I need to go have a conversation with God. I need to go have a conversation with my brother. I need to do something before, before I take the Lord's Supper. We see a similar idea to that in Matthew chapter 5. It's not exactly the same thing, but it's similar. He's talking about anger, and he says, you, um, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment, right? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Uh, to the hell of fire. So then here's the, the, the deal. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before there and before, before you go to the altar and first be reconciled to your brother and then come again and offer your gift. Right. And so in that situation, it was saying, you know what, go deal with these things first before you bring this gift to the Lord. Now, again, it's not the exact same thing. We're not it's not the same thing. But there's a principle there that I think is is that makes sense for us. OK, you don't have to receive the Lord's Supper. Um, And if you are going to eat unworthily, then you shouldn't receive the Lord's Supper, because literally what we find out in this text in, in first Corinthians is that it is dangerous It is dangerous to do so. So look what he says again in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Okay, so at least two things are going on there. One, if you eat in an unworthy manner, you are acting presumptuously. You are acting irreverently towards the sacrifice um, that Christ has made for you. Okay, and so that phrase that you are guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. The reality is this. We know this. Grace is free, but it isn't cheap. And we shouldn't treat it like it's cheap. We shouldn't treat God's grace presumptively. We shouldn't act like, oh, well, it'll be fine. God will forgive me. That's his job, right? That is not the attitude that we come to anything in, much less the table where we are remembering um, the, the crucifixion of Jesus. So one is when we come to it unworthily, we are mocking the gospel and we are mocking Christ in a way. But two is we are literally inviting discipline on our lives, according to this passage. We are told here that there are significant consequences, or at least that there were significant consequences in Corinth that were going on. Sickness, even death, were consequences of taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. And so I think many of us would balk at that. We would go, that's silly. That's not the way God works. Certainly he's not going to strike me dead or I'm not going to get sick because I did this thing in an unworthy manner. But you can read that text and make of it whatever you want. God is not pleased with hypocrisy. He uses the word judgment at the beginning, but we, if we look down at verse 32, we recognize that he's not talking about eternal judgment. right? We're not talking about losing salvation here. 
right? Um, we're talking about discipline. We're talking about the way a father disciplines their child. But that discipline could include those things even to the point of sickness and death, okay? And so, so we're not talking about losing and being separated from Christ or something, but we are talking about God saying, this is not okay and I'm not going to let you continue in it. Okay, so those are pretty serious aspects of the Lord's Supper, okay? And so this would be the third, fourth thing I would say, is if you think I'm talking about somebody else, then you are probably part of the problem, okay? If when you hear this, you go, oh, he's talking about that guy because he's an idiot uh, or whatever, then you're probably part of the problem, okay? Now, it, this is the deal. This is one of these sermons that, like, after, I can't remember what it was I preached on a few months back, and, like, at small group the next week, like, everybody was like, are you talking to me? Like, did I do something wrong, and that's why you gave that sermon? And here's the thing. That's almost never the case, right? I'm not talking to you specifically. But here's the deal. I am this week. I'm talking to all of us specifically, okay? Because every single one of us deals with this, okay? Every single one of us has grudges or hurt feelings or beef or something, okay? And maybe not right now. Like, maybe you can honestly look at me and say, no, not me, not right now. Cool, good. But probably not always, right? Probably sometimes there is something going on. In fact, I know something's sometimes going on. You know why? Because I get to hear about it, right? I'm the one that talks to people about those things, okay? And so I can tell you that on any given week, somebody's come talk to me about something, okay? And so that's what we're, that's what we're dealing with. So when I say, who, who are you, when you say these things, Ash, who are you talking to? I'm talking to you. That's who I'm talking to. Honestly, I'm talking to me, okay? Because I can have all these things in me too, and the same kind of Stuff, right, that I'm dealing with, okay? The prodigal son, again, is a beautiful picture of the Lord's Supper. It's not intended to be. The, the correlations aren't exact there, but I think it's a beautiful picture because here's the reality. We are all, every single one of us, a combination of those two brothers, right? We are both the brother who ran and the brother that stayed, every single one of us. And just like that younger brother, we have to acknowledge our sin. We have to repent, and we have to return to the Father. But just like that older brother, we have to receive the grace that God has extended to us, that the Father has extended, and we have to be willing to extend that grace to the lives of our brothers and sisters in the faith. The supper is an opportunity to do that on a weekly basis. Right. And so almost in some ways, again, man, this is this is the reason why people should everybody should do the Lord's Supper every week. OK, is because there's so there's a lot of work that gets done at that table. OK, there is a lot of stuff that happens there, a lot of clearing of the air between not only you and God, but you and other people. It's a reminder of the gospel. It's a conf confrontation to the lost. Um, it's it's as we sit here and people go, why am I not taking part in that supper? Why am I not trusting? There's all kinds of things going on at the Lord's Supper. That's why it's so important, I think, that we're supposed to do it on a regular basis. And so I, I said it to somebody before the service, I said, and you've heard me say this before, it's kind of a truism in, in, in preaching. The job of a preacher is to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Okay, that's, your, that's my job. 
Um, so what that means is there are probably at least two kinds of responses to this message tonight. Um, number one, there are those who don't take sin seriously or seriously enough. And there are those who take, don't take grace seriously or at least seriously enough. So, for example, I have friends or a friend who went for an extended period of time not taking the Lord's Supper. Um, and the reason was is every time it was the day to take the Lord's Supper, he felt too guilty, right? He took, he took at its word when it says you need to examine yourself, um, you need to you confess your sin, you need to have all these things right. And at the, when it came to the moment of the supper, he felt so guilty um, that he wouldn't take it. Didn't take it for months and months and months and months, right? Maybe even as much as a year, I don't know. But here's the truth. The reality is, is that friend of mine, it was not that he was taking his sin too seriously, it was that he wasn't taking grace seriously enough, right? He didn't, he wasn't really believing what Christ had done in his life, okay? And so if you're the kind of person who here in a minute, when we have the Lord's Supper and you go, man, I can't take it because I just got, you know, there was this one little thing that I was mad about or this one little thing and I haven't really, you know, and you beat yourself up over it, then probably what you need to hear is Jesus Christ has died for you. Um, that his grace is sufficient for you, that you have been covered with his righteousness. Lay the sin before God, let it go, and receive the grace that he's provided. You need to do that, okay? But at the same time, there is the other side of that uh, equation too. Um, if your reaction is more of an older brother um, reaction maybe, anger, resentment, self-righteousness, um, the reality is this, you're no less invited to the table. Um, again, remember the prodigal son story, right? He's having a party for, for the younger brother, but the older brother's supposed to be there too, to, put, to share in, um, in the celebration. You are no less invited. You just have some different heart work that you need to do beforehand. And so obviously there's a lot going on, and everybody's heart's in a different place, Okay. Um, and, and, and our, and our service is kind of out of order tonight, but it was intentional. And I hope you see why it was intentional because it would be weird to tell you about all these things after we had already taken the Lord's supper, I feel like. Okay. Um, but we're going to do things kind of a little bit, um, out of order. So this is how it's going to go. What we're going to do is first off, um, we're going to have a time of prayer and reflection, just like we do at the end of every, um, uh, uh, sermon, right, time, or whatever, but we're going to meld it with our repentance time, okay? And so what's going to happen is the same way that we, we examine our hearts and we confess our sin before the Lord, before we go to the Lord's Supper, we're doing that now. That's going to be this time in just a second, okay? I'm going to come up and give us a scriptural assurance of what Christ has done for us, okay? Then we're going to have our greeting time. We're going to have our peace of Christ time, right? Okay? And, and it's a time for us to um, do exactly what we're saying, is we're saying, if this is a people that I'm unified with, then I'm going to live as if I'm unified with these people. Okay? And so um, you do with that whatever you want to do with it. Okay? And then, out of that unity, then we're going to go to the table. Okay? We usually do it the opposite way, because I think there's important symbolism to both. On one, the way you usually do it is we say it is Christ's death and resurrection that creates the unity. That's why we do the Lord's Supper first, and then we have the fellowship. We're going to flip it this week, okay, because it is the fellowship that is also symbolized in the Lord's Supper table. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's do this right now. Let's, let's bow our heads.
Let's close our eyes. Let's go to the Lord. Um, and let's confess our sin before him. Um, let's do whatever business that you have to do with the Lord, whether that is younger brother business or older brother business. Let's go to the Lord and seek his face and lay our sin at the foot of the cross.